902, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on in. 88.9 Fighting Scots Radio. It's the morning after here on a full-fledged football Friday for you fine folks out there in the borough. A little chilly, but the sun's out, so you can't complain about that because it is Edinburgh, and you never know really when they're going to do, when that's going to happen. It's supposed to be sunny in a high, high in the low 50s today. High in the low 50s. I'll, I mean, I'll take that. That's that's okay. So uh, we got a lot to go through today. Um, just Tubby and I, as you heard him in his weather analysis, he's in studio in his Monday, Wednesday, Friday slot. Uh, Mike Fenner, who's normally in studio, is out doing Mike Fenner things. Um, so he's going to call in in a matter of moments here on the show. We'll get him the recap Burrow football's uh, game from last night at Sox Harrison Stadium, which you heard right here on the home of Burrow football, 88.9. And then at 9.15, we'll have Tom Reisenweber to talk local high school sport or football in his usual weekly spot and then which turns into maybe a usual weekly spot again we might have another recurring reoccurring weekly guest josh gleason calls in at 9 30 to give us his college football breakdown i'm very excited to talk about temple owls with him was able to go home last night and catch the full fourth quarter of that contest temple undefeated watch out college game days coming to philly next saturday temple comes down into the link sold out i'm pumped I like Temple, the hometown. Right. I like Notre Dame. That's my football team in major college football. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that. I never would have pegged you for a fighting Irish guy. I think it was Brady Quinn. I think I had a man crush on Brady Quinn and it just got me. Oh, you and Golick. Yeah. I just, I don't know why. I just, it just, and then it just kind of stuck. I mean, I don't really like him in any other sport except for football. Right. It's interesting. But nonetheless, let's get started with Burrow football here on the show. A 38-28 loss Edinburgh suffered last night, falling to 0-8 overall, 0-5 in the PSAC. Of course, that was at the hands of the Mercyhurst Lakers, who moved to 4-4 overall, 1-4 in the PSAC West, earning their first Western Division win this season. To join me now to talk about that, my play-by-play partner from last night, Mike Fenner, right here live on the morning after. Mr. Fenner, how are you this morning? I'm terrific. Um... But, you know, if you're going to like Notre Dame football, I would go with Jeff Samarja and not Brady Quinn for any man crush uh, out there. That's just my opinion. He did, he did have some luscious locks, and he was a dual threat because he was a heck of a receiver for Notre Dame, but also was a great pitcher and then ended up going with the Cubs being drafted and going the Major League Baseball route. Probably the smartest guy of them all to ever graduate from Notre Dame. Yeah, no doubt. Got to go baseball instead of right. uh, football. And I, for I mean, longevity's sake. Right, and he did not spend a lot of time in the minors. So let's get to football last night. I'm not sure if we had any baseball players on the field as well, but we did have football guys, and uh, Mercyhurst wins 38-28. to But that does not tell even a third of the story from last night. Uh, the Scott roar out to a 14-0 lead. Mercyhurst comes back with 17 unanswered to take a 17-14 halftime lead. And then Edinburgh strikes first in the second half, goes up 21-17, and then the Lakers rattle off 21 unanswered to take a 38-21 to lead until Edinburgh scores last to make it 38-28, to and that is the final score. Mike, it was 14-0, a punt return by Mitch Thomas, a two-yard run by Corey Bell, which was set up by an interception from Josh Kibbe, who nearly ran it in himself for in his first career interception. What was going through your mind seeing the scoreboard with 14 points by Edinburgh and a goose egg by Corey Bell? or next to um, Mercyhurst, just four minutes into this ball game. Well, you had to feel confident. You had to feel like this thing was going to get turned around and, you know, that it was going to be a good omen. It was Edinburgh's first lead in a football game since late in the Shippensburg contest, which was, of course, way earlier on in the season, second game of the year and the first PSAC game against an Eastern Division opponent. 
Uh, that was the first question I asked head coach Scott Browning last night on the field. I said, could you have ever imagined a turnaround like this after the 14 nothing start? And flat out, he said, no, I really couldn't. And uh, he explained, you know, talking about the fact that the offense only ran 15 plays in the first half for those 11 yards. But he said it's not on the offense solely. Uh, kind of a combination of defense not getting out off the field after a certain point and the offense not executing. Um, and Josh Kerry, I talked to him after the game as well. Then they had the interception to kind of set things going for the defense. And uh, he said, you know, that was huge. And I thought we were going to be able to take that momentum and run with it and just keep rolling. Uh, but it just didn't turn out that way. And it was it's such a weird start. Very, very bizarre football game. And I don't think anybody could have envisioned Edinburgh trailing at halftime, let alone after leading 14 nothing, you know, less than five minutes in. It certainly was a weird state of affairs in that first two frames. And you mentioned carrying that momentum. Edinburgh could have even piled onto that momentum. Not only were they able to have the punt return, so the special teams helped out. They weren't. Not only were they able to Kibby to get an interception to set up the offense, easily punching it in from a few yards out. Um, but they then they were also forced a fumble, uh, stripped Zach Emmerich from his blind side, and then recovered the fumble. I believe that was Zaril Hendrick that got that. Correct me, Mister Fenner, if I'm wrong. And then. Um, Unfortunately, they weren't unable. They were unable to get any points out of that. Not even really get into field goal range to try an Austin Reese uh, field goal. They were close, but they decided to punt this away and uh, pin Mercyhurst deep. But if they were able to capitalize on that opportunity and go up twenty-one nothing, not saying that would have affected anything, but that certainly would have made it a different dynamic in that first half to where Edinburgh could have potentially had a had a halftime lead and maybe even a larger halftime lead because that would have maybe deflated Hurst even more and not allowed them to put up 17 points. I mean, think about this, Tyler. Edinburgh's not had a 21-point lead over anybody this season, and they could have done just that with the, fum- the fumble, the field position. I talked to Coach about that, and he said, I thought it was important. I thought we had an opportunity there and, and just didn't capitalize. Uh, you got to think about that. The fighting Scots, if they're able to put a touchdown on the board on that drive, think about how much different this game looks considering what Mercier's was unable to do passing the football. Certainly they would have had enough time with almost three full quarters to try and you know put touchdowns on the board. But redshirt junior Zach Emmerich in relief of Brandon Boylan, only 11 for 18, 64 yards passing, uh, an interception, and was sacked four times. I mean, this guy didn't do anything in the passing game virtually to help his team win. Uh, you hate to say win in spite of him, but I mean he managed the game just well enough that this running game and this defense were able to bring it back. And if Edinburgh goes up by three scores, specifically three touchdowns, we might be talking about a different game. That was the first of two huge turning points, in my opinion. Mike, I just wanted to mention real quick about the, the time of possession here. Mercyhurst had 38 minutes and 32 seconds of uh, winning that time of possession game. Do you feel that like getting late in the, in the fourth quarter and late in the second half, that that time of, uh, time of position really made a – really made a difference in, in gassing out our defense? See, in my opinion, I think it had to play a huge factor. I mean, Edinburgh only had 15 plays of offense. Uh, Mercier's outpossessing Edinburgh in the first half, especially 21 minutes and change to, you know, not even nine minutes to the fighting Scots. I asked Josh Kitty about that, considering he's on the defense, a member of that defensive front. Uh, he said, you know, I mean, it's tough, but we're in good condition. feel like we're in good shape. Uh, and the coaches made sure we are able to do that because they don't want the best 11th on the field at all times. Uh, but then I, I kind of went to your point, Tubby, and you know said not only just the first half, but how does that go into the second half and into the fourth quarter when you guys have, you know, you're facing 68 plays. 
Uh, that's tough. And, you know, you did admit that, you know, you got to sub a little bit more on the front, uh, but you can't get up, you can't get up, uh, and then you get tired there, can't quit. So it's difficult. And I think it really showed that was a lot to ask about defense considering the amount of snaps they played. Right. I noticed, like, the first few plays of a series, like when Mercy Harris would get the ball, is when the defense would really strike hard and, you know, get their most gains out of it. it was, you know, early, like on first and second downs and stuff. But if they, made, if Mercyhurst would make a first down and then go into the, you know, the second half or second part of the drive, then uh, they would, that's where it would start to fall apart a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. And that's where I think my second turning point of the game comes. I mean, Edinburgh leads at 21 17. Uh, Mercyhurst starts a drive with 118 left in the third quarter. It's kind of been an even back and forth third quarter, no one really taking command of it despite the Edinburgh score in that third. Uh, and the second play of the drive coming out of a timeout, Richie Sanders bursts off a 75-yard touchdown run. I think that took all the wind out of the sails for Edinburgh. I don't think they were ready for that uh, because they had really kept this running game at bay for the most part until that run. And I think that's when it really kind of, you know, the wheels might have fallen off here. Certainly, Mike, and we, you talked about the offense and the defense. Tubby talked about the time of possession. Just to give some stats to fill in the gaps there, Edinburgh managing seven first downs in this game, 206 yards of total offense compared to Mercyhurst's 315 uh, you know, total offensive yards. But you mentioned Emmerich not really doing anything in the passing game, 64 yards of passing for Mercyhurst. Um, but the name of the game was their three-headed monster with the 251 rushing yards. Uh, Richie Sanders, Drew Robinson, Brandon Brown, Dukes combining for that total as well with Emmerich helping out there. But the man with the plan last night was Richie Sanders. 20 attempts, 170 yards, two touchdowns. Do you feel that maybe Edinburgh just wasn't expecting that three-headed monster, that they were expecting more of just a healthy uh, dose of Brandon Brown, Dukes, and that maybe kind of you know caught him off guard a little bit? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think you would expect more Brown Dukes than, you know, Sanders than Robinson. Brown Dukes, though, basically ineffective outside of one run last night. 12 carries, 48 yards, but he pretty much got all of it on a 38-yard run where he had some good downfield blocking to pick up a critical first down for Mercier's. Uh We talked about on the pregame and during the broadcast, hasn't had the ideal dream senior season, uh, but you still would expect big things from him. He had 90 yards against Edinburgh in, in last year's matchup. Just wasn't his night, you know, wasn't able to get things going. And then, you know, Sanders and Robinson kind of had to put that one on them with 170, like you said, for Sanders and 60 yards and a touchdown for Robinson. Uh, those guys go for three rushing touchdowns, and neither one of those guys had a rushing touchdown in their career, or pardon me, for this season coming into tonight. So, or coming into the last night, pardon me, geez, I'm still thinking it's Thursday. Uh, I'm out of sorts here, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't think they expected all three of those guys to do the damage, but as we've seen in previous games, um, you know, teams like IUP are capable of doing that as well. Certainly, Mike. So, unfortunately for Edinburgh, they do suffer another loss, this one by the tune of 38-28 to to the Mercyhurst Lakers. But now they'll have some time to regroup, uh, recharge, and get ready for another home contest, their season finale, Senior Day, next Saturday, Halloween Day, a noon kickoff, when the defending conference champions, Slippery Rock, come to Edinburgh. That's Mike Fenner, the play-by-play voice of Borough Football. Mike, appreciate the time and enjoy your weekend, sir. All right, you too as well. Take care, guys. There is Mike Fenner on the line talking Borough Football, as always, recapping that one. 
Unfortunately, again, as I said, 38-28 to 28 loss to the Mercyhurst Lakers. We're going to hit a break here, get Tom Risenweber of the Erie Times News on the line, come back and transition to local high school football with it being a Friday and a decent one at that, so you might be heading out to a game tonight. Don't go anywhere the morning after rolls along after this. Supporters of WFSC include Quickville, a chain of 300 convenience stores and gas stations in the tri-state area, offering American-made fuels from Parent United Refining Company in Warren, Pennsylvania. Information is at quickville.com. 9-19 here on 88.9 Fighting Scots Radio. Thank you all for tuning in. It's the morning after. Tubby's there. I'm here. I'm Tyler Chumbaugh. I'm here with you. Thanks to Mike Fenner. We had Burrow Football Talk last segment. Continuing on into this segment now, we're going to continue with the pigskin, but now go to the high school scene here in Northwest Pennsylvania as we're joined, as always, by our coined Varsity Prime Czar. I think we're going to stick with that one. You good with that? Varsity Prime Czar? Yes. Yep. Tom Reisenweber on the line. Tom, how are you this morning? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Appreciate the time as always. So now we're getting into week eight here in the high school football season. Not too many weeks left. So now things are starting to maybe finally... The dust is starting to settle. We're starting to see who's going to be the one standing at the end of the day heading into the postseason action. Um, but first, before we get to that, looking at the slate of games overall for tonight, uh, what are some games you're highlighting, some games you feel are going to be the top ones? I mean, I'm thinking for the local fans, maybe General McLean, I think, is going to be in an interesting game tonight. Do you agree? Yeah, I think uh, I always consider it the most uncomfortable game every year with McLean and Prep. you got two proud programs who uh, really don't like each other a lot. and <laughs> it's, uh, There's always some kind of antics that go on uh, at the game or before the game. Uh, a couple of years ago, McLean arrived at prep uh, late you know, on purpose and on the wrong uniforms. And, you know, there's a flag on the coin toss. And it's just, uh, it's one of those <laughs> not not fun rivalries because it's just so much tension in the air. But uh, it's always a good game. Uh, the, you know, two really good teams going at it. So it could be an interesting game tonight. Certainly. Uh, what are some other ones that maybe, you know, others that are just high school fans overall, not the borough faithful here for General McLean, should be watching out for or maybe heading out to as well? Well, you know, you got uh, Harbor Creek at Fort LaBeouf. A lot of playoff implications on this one. Uh, LaBeouf is in the playoffs with a win, which is pretty good for a team that uh, struggled last year to win the close game. Uh, they've bounced back with a really good year this, this season. And, uh, you know, Harbor Creek is still in the playoff race. They're trying to hang on. Um, yeah, Northeast, uh, they should win over Mercer's prep tonight. That's an interesting game on Northeast. Um, really a lot of, a lot of teams watching this one. If Northeast wins, they're in. Uh, but if they lose, uh, teams like Seneca and Girard are still alive. So a lot of eyes on that game, uh, tonight. And, uh, you know, this is one of the interesting games down south. Uh, Farrell and Sharpsville are playing in Region 1. They're both undefeated in that region. So that's where the Region 1 title and top seed, uh, stands up here would kind of be just keep an eye on that for, Iroquois and Cambridge Springs, because uh, it looks like those two teams, uh, Farrell and Sharks, are the teams that beat single A. So uh, I guess that's a big game down there. And, uh, you know, Corey at Warren. Uh, Corey, uh, they've struggled a little bit going down at that uh, Mercer County region. But if they win today, they're still alive for a playoff spot, which would be a huge accomplishment. So uh, that's, that's big for them. They can win this week. Next week they play, so that'll be for a playoff spot. Uh, briefly, I wanted to hit on uh, another big game down in Crawford County area or Venango area, Meadville versus Oil City. Does that have playoff implications for Meadville? Does this, like, are they a must-win team at this point? Well, the ridiculous thing this year is with this 
open tournament format, all eight AAA teams in District 10 are in the playoffs. And uh, the only the only teams that won't go are any teams that opt out. So, uh, Meadville and Oil City are in. Uh, the only the big, the big thing here is uh, the winner gets the number two seed, and then the loser gets the three seed. And that that's huge because the two seed is going to playing strong Vincent, who's not very good this season. Uh, Meadville already beat them thirty six nothing, and the uh, the loser is going to play Central Tech, and Central Tech already beat Meadville. Um, they're a very good team in, in the north, so it's a huge game. Just to and also, yeah, the winner of that game gets to play closer to home in the first round of the playoffs. So that's a big game as far as who their opponent's going to be in that first round and where that game's going to be at. Quick question for you to go off your answer there. You said you know only teams that choose to opt out of the postseason would obviously not then uh, participate. Have you? Is that a is that a thing that happens out here? Is a team can really decide they want to opt out. That's in their best interest. That's a new, uh, kind of a new thing this year. Uh, District 10 in August voted in this open tournament, which goes to all like all major sports with volleyball, uh, soccer, basketball, baseball, softball. And, uh, you know, for football, it wasn't really going to affect anything except uh, all eight teams now get to go. And you have teams like Vincent who have one win. Uh, East has one win. And it's kind of like, well, why are you going to go to the playoffs? So really the honorable thing would be to drop out. But uh, I think some of those teams are going to stay in there. So you may get a Conneaut East game that's going to be a blowout. Uh, you might have a Meadville Vince game that's a blowout. Uh, Franklin in the last place in Region 5, they're, they would play Cathedral Prep the first round. That's a blowout. So, I mean, this open tournament thing, I'm not a big fan of it. And I think you're going to see a lot of blowouts in AAA in that first round because of it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, really, un, I'm not really sure why. What's the uh, motivation behind having that, that – uh that open tournament type of thing. I mean, do you know why, you know, the motivation was there for District 10 to do that? It was, I mean, I'm not quite certain the motivation behind it. Well, it's uh, the whole mentality of everyone needs a trophy this, these, these days. And, uh, you know, it, it was great when, you know, Wally Lucas and Gus McCarter were in charge of District 10. They would ignore that kind of thing. If they were not doing that, that's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I think what happened over the years There'd always be like one or two teams each season that probably should have been in that didn't get in. Uh, Seneca basketball uh, years ago went 17 and five, came in fourth place in their region, did not get the playoffs. Uh, last year, Mercer girls soccer came in uh, second, tied for second in their region, did not get in. So there was an outcry of maybe one team or two teams per season of how come we didn't get in. And I thought, well, District 10 at this point should probably expand their playoffs a little bit. You know, just maybe add a playing game or two. But they went ahead and it just made it open. So basically, any class in these sports that has 16 teams or less, they're going to have everyone in. So, for example, uh, AA boys soccer this year is 18 teams. 16 are going to the playoffs unless anyone opts out, which is ridiculous. But it was kind of an overreaction by District 10, but that's what we're stuck with now. And it's going to get even worse next year when we have six classes in a lot of these sports. Right. I mean, it would make more sense like if the league itself between these teams had more parity. And where it was more like the NFL, where any given any given Friday or whatever, one team could beat another one. But you really see throughout the District 10 area where certain schools just happen to run away with it and separate themselves from the have-nots, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I understand trying to create more of a, a, a you know a fair playing field, things like that. But I just think that, you know District 10 is so spread out geographically; it's hard to even uh, make it that, that even. Uh, you know, there's so many things that go on and so many factors, but, you know, I just think, you know, all this stuff is just, 
it's, it's, it's overreaction to what you know, you know, parents and, and, and families want and kids want. Uh, I, I think you know, if I'm a student athlete and my team has two wins in soccer or four wins in basketball, I don't think I deserve to go to the playoffs. But it's all just an overreaction. Certainly, yeah, and I think that probably takes you know some meaning out of these Friday night regular season games. If you're, you know, if you, even if you're just getting one or two wins, you're still going to get that additional playoff game if your program chooses to participate. So, with that aside, though, uh, Tom, looking at tonight's contests, is there any real playoff implications on the line? I mean, you think a game that hey, this is one that. Um, you know, is a must-win to either get a better seed, like you were talking about earlier, so you could kind of position yourself to play a lesser opponent in the postseason. Is there something that is like, well, this game right here is a great opportunity for postseason uh, action? Yeah, you know, it's one really uh, elimination game tonight is uh, Wilmington and Lakeview in Region One. Uh, three, three, you know, they're set up where uh, in all the on the first four regions in single A double A, the top four are going. And, uh, you know, in single A, uh, region one, three teams are in. Uh, that last spot is between Wilmington and Lakeview. They just happen to play each other tonight. So that's basically a, a playoff game in uh, week eight here. So that's pretty interesting. But uh, it really, we're going to see a lot of uh, fireworks next week. I think week nine is the last week of region play for regions one through four. So, yeah, i got a lot of big games coming up here the next uh, week or so. There it is. So uh, things are wrapping up. Tearing down a little bit, trying to figure out what's going to happen here and figure out who's all going to go, whether they're one wins, nine wins, five wins. It doesn't matter, apparently, in District 10. Tom, we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the action tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, same time, same channel. All right, thanks a lot, guys. There it is, Tom Reisenweber on the line uh, here with us on the morning after. Of course, always good high school breakdown. I had no idea right. District 10 did that. We might have to get into that a little later on and kind of talk about that. That's kind of really unfortunate for 2015. Right, I mean, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. It's like giving out participation trophies. Well, that's I mean, exactly what he said. Everyone needs to get a trophy, and that's kind of the way that they're treating it. And that's just really unfortunate. That's the way they're going to go. Nonetheless, that's how it is uh, in District Ten. So we'll see how the playoffs and everything continues on. Week eight of the high school football season gets underway tonight. Uh, it should be a good night if you're going out to any action there. If not, of course, follow it on GoErie.com slash Varsity Prime with Tom Risenweber pulling the strings back in the office for that one. We're going to hit our second break here on the show. Tubby and I are going to stick around across the break, get Josh Gleason on the line to talk college football and the like on the other side. Don't go anywhere. With the best variety of music and student announcers that make it all fun, this is 88.9 WFSE. And we're back here on 88.9 Fighting Scots Radio the morning after. Continuing along here, that's Tubby. I'm Tyler. 88.9 Fighting Scots Radio. EdinburghNow.com, the tune-in app on mobile devices. Quite interesting there, Tubby. The, the right. song said it had another minute and 30 seconds to go. And then just died on you. And then died. And it didn't even, like, and it didn't even like continue. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like dead air with what the song continued. It just stopped. It just dropped out of the system. Wow. I got to talk to someone about that because that's not my department, but that's no. someone's department. No, that's not in our lane. <clears throat> no, not at all. But, but we will uh, notify the proper authorities. <clears throat> we will forward to all necessary parties. Speaking of someone that's, you know, rarely in his own lane, Josh Gleason is going to be joining us now on the show to talk college football. Mr. Gleason, how are you today? I'm doing pretty swell. How about you guys? We're doing all right. Living a dream. Living the dream as always here in the borough. Um, so <clears throat> real things uh, to talk about here. I hope you were watching this action last night. Temple, East Carolina. Temple emerges from a scary one, 24-14, down 14-10 in the fourth quarter. 
Uh, missed two field goals in this ball game. 22-ranked Temple, staying undefeated, and now going into next week at Lincoln Financial Field, hosting Notre Dame. Does College Game Day come to Philadelphia next Saturday? I don't know if they're going to come to Philadelphia, especially because next week, I believe, is uh, Alabama-LSU, which if both teams manage to get through their uh, test this week, is going to be a pretty huge game. Uh, Alabama's hosting Tennessee, so they should be able to get through that. And LSU is hosting the Sun Belts, Western Kentucky. So uh, both those teams should still only have one loss combined, and obviously everybody knows LSU-Alabama rivalry. So... But I Temple's undefeated. I still, I still feel like a, game day just lives in the SEC. No that's, game. that's ridiculous. That is just because there's the SEC network, which ESPN zone owns. That's, <laughs> I'm telling you, Notre Dame has how many losses? One? Two? One. They have one. They have one. One right now. They, they have, have one close loss to Clemson, which they right. came back. Yeah. Right. And Temple is undefeated and ranked for the first time in, in like, ever. I think last the last time was their first win as a ranked team since 1936. Right. Like, Pop Warner was the coach. Yep, that's correct. So, I think I, I think they should be there. But you, I could see you. I could see you being right, and I'm going with Alabama LSU. But you kind of just ruined my morning doing that, nonetheless. <laughs> I so. think the, the Temple learning is definitely a pretty big one for people that, you know, have always been supporters of those uh, mid, mid-major schools, so to say, that always loved the Boise State and TCUs back when we had the BCS system. And uh, – I think a lot of people will be paying attention to that because that's the one thing Temple, you know, kind of lacks right now is a win over a ranked team. Out of all the mid-majors with an undefeated schedule, that with an undefeated record right now, they arguably have the second-best schedule in terms of strength right now. Memphis is that big win over Ole Miss, but you look at Temple, they've already beaten Penn State. They won at Cincinnati. They won at UMass, barely, but UMass is a team that also gave Notre Dame a struggle. Mm-hmm. So next week's going to be, I think a lot of people are going to be paying attention because I think a lot of people are going to kind of quietly be hoping that Temple wins that game so they can kind of cause a little bit of a shakeup because, you know, as of right now, Notre Dame's 11th in the nation. So that would be pretty huge. Real quick, Josh, did you catch the UCLA Cal game? Or I didn't watch much of it because. Of the score, <laughs> right? So is is that a shocker to you that they that they blew them out by so much? What was that? Do you, do you think this was a shocker that um, that UCLA was able to blow them out? The score, a final score of forty to twenty four. I don't think it was um, you know really that shocking in the end. Cal's pretty much just been carried this entire time by their star quarterback, Jared Goff, and last night they really did not give him any help, specifically the offense line. The Bruins' defense just pretty much looked in the backfield where they wanted to last night, and that allowed UCLA to jump out to a huge lead at the beginning and kind of just put it in cruise control from there. You talked about Memphis in your previous answer. We talked to Tom Reisenweber about local high school football for tonight, but there's some college football tonight as well, including 18th-ranked Memphis at Tulsa at 8 o'clock. What do you make of that contest? Does Tulsa have a shot in this one? I don't think so. Honestly, they're, I know they sport a 3-3 three and three record, and that looks you know nice on paper, but they're, they've lost their first two games in conference in the American Athletic. They did only lose to Oklahoma and Houston by 14 points. Um, they can score, which might cause some problems for a Memphis defense that 
throughout most of the season has not been very good. They stepped things up in the second half last week against Ole Miss and really provided an answer when they really needed one after their offense gave them a boost and gave them the lead. But overall, Memphis defense has been pretty bad all year. The Tulsa defense has also been really bad, which is why despite them scoring points, they're sitting at a 3-3 record. So even though they're hosting, I still like Memphis to to win and uh, cover the the 10 points that they're favored by as of now. Okay, Josh, if you can, here's what I need you to do. Right. Give me give me the games that you're going to put on the TV and the ones that you're, you're going to track through your electronic device, be it like the, the laptop or whatever. So you're sitting there on your couch Saturday. you got your chips and your dips and your soda, and you're watching the game. <laughs> he, he only has Twitter on every screen, so he doesn't really do that. <laughs> but doesn't he use TweetDeck like you do? Where the no, he tweets from his phone and just trolls all day. But go ahead, Josh, answer the question. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say, uh, you know, the start, I think, this week is definitely a dull week, so to say, in terms of matchups. Um, there's only, I believe there's only one game between ranked teams this week. Um, so running, running down the line, uh, starting at the noon games, I'm definitely very intrigued in the Clemson-Miami game. The one thing about this week is a lot of ranked teams are on the road. So that does provide a little bit of something interesting, especially because it's supposed to be raining down in Miami. We saw what happened in that. It's not going to be a monsoon like that Clemson-Notre Dame game was, but when the rain started pouring in that game, uh, Clemson started to struggle, and that's when Notre Dame came back in the fourth quarter. So you, you got to watch out for that. Clemson's 6-0. Miami's sporting a solid 4-2 record. Just got off a nice win against Virginia Tech. So Miami's a pretty good team, and a win like this would really vault them into the top 25. Uh, in terms of the 330 games, it's tough because this is, uh, like I said, kind of a, a dead part of it. But Penn State, Maryland, lock it in. See, I thought I thought you I thought you definitely go with Tennessee versus Alabama, so that way you control our boy Mike. Yeah, I mean that's definitely going to be one to watch. Except for I I think with Alabama being at home. It, the Vols are going to have a really tough time because Alabama needs to go into next week against LSU with only one loss. I think they know that. I think they know that their season comes down to next week, as long as they can get through this week. Next week is pretty much their, you know, at least for right now, it's their national championship because if they don't lose, or if they don't win that game, they're done. No two team, their two loss team is going to get in the playoffs at the rate this is going with so many undefeated teams still sitting out there right now. I, I can't see a two-loss team getting in there. So Alabama knows that next week is their big game of the year that they need to win, so they need to get to that game. I don't think they're going to come out flat against Tennessee. So the game at the 3 o'clock part that I'm really looking forward to is Oklahoma-Texas Tech because there's going to be a lot of offense in that game. And the thing about that is we know with Mike Stoops, big game Mike, so to say, uh, that he comes out in the big game, usually has Oklahoma ready to go. We saw that last week against a tough Kansas State team. They really blew them out. But Oklahoma always finds a way to just blow these these games that you don't really expect them to lose. Texas Tech can score a lot. They have really held with TCU about a month ago. Not not so much with Baylor the game after that, but they've shown that they can score points, and that could cause a problem for Oklahoma. And in terms of the nightcap, I'm really interested in the Utah-USC game. The only game between ranked teams happened at 7 o'clock, Texas A&M and Ole Miss, and that should be a good game. But Utah-USC at 7.30 on the West Coast, 
with USC as the home team, and actually USC is the favorite right now hmm. at three at three and three, going against the six and zero Utah team, the third team in the nation. USC is unranked, and they're a favorite by a field goal right now. So I'm very intrigued to see how Utah responds to that, to see how USC responds to that, because I know as much as people say they don't look into that, the players, the coaches. There's got to be something that's probably been asked to them multiple times throughout the week by media people. they got to know about it. So that's going to be interesting to see how both those teams respond to that. USC's second week without uh, Steve Sarkeesian at the helm and, and Utah coming off a pretty nice win in, in the fourth quarter, really, against Arizona State last week. Interesting slate of games you're right overall, and a couple ones here and there, but not the not the jam-packed college football uh, Saturday that we've we've become accustomed to as of late. So, real quick, with a couple more minutes, Josh, give me your top three Heisman watch because I know you have like a like a Kirk Herbstreit board in your bedroom. So just kind of <laughs> kind of read that down, how that's listed one, two, three right now uh, for us after last week's action. I'm sticking the same to what I had last week. My top five is actually even the same as last week. Uh, but for, for the top three, my number three right now is still Greg Ward Jr., the quarterback out of Houston. He's still been very efficient passing the ball. And then when you add on, he's tied for first in the nation with one and four net and rushing touchdowns at 14. That definitely adds an extra edge that I think you need this year as a quarterback to compete with these running backs in the quote-unquote year of the running back. Uh, my number two is still Dalvin Cook, the Florida State running back. He's averaging nine yards per play right now, which is obviously huge. He's been absolutely carrying this Florida State team. And then number one, Leonard Fournette, averaging 200 rushing yards a game. He's averaging over 50 more rushing yards a game than anybody else in the nation right now. And then also the 14 rushing touchdowns, like I said, tied with Ward Jr. for the most in the nation. He's been stellar all year. And this week they play Washington, Kentucky. I got to imagine he's going to have another huge game, and next week against Alabama, that could really be that could be the time to make a statement and really put his name on the Heisman Trophy. There you go. So as the season progresses along in college football, things starting to uh, rattle out and figure out who's going to you know be legit, who's going to fall out of the Heisman race, the college football playoff race, the like, the man that's following it all. The man once written for Bleacher Report is also trolling Twitter and is blocked by Gil Brandt, Josh Gleason, giving us all the breakdown. He's still blocking you, right? Yeah, he still has me blocked, unfortunately. And and just a quick uh, correction, LSU and Alabama actually both have five next week. It's in two weeks when those two teams played. Boom. I knew that I knew that their next game was against each other, but they both had bye weeks. So week. so you're telling me Temple Notre Dame next week? <laughs> At the rate of looking, it's actually it's more possible now, that's for sure. Josh, call in all your connections with the NCAA and make this happen for Tyler. Well, it's ESPN, but well, not NCAA. I'll, I'll, I'll write a letter to Kirk Herbstreit. We'll see what we can get yeah. done. There you go. Kirk, Kirk's got the uh, control. I should be able to get him with them. He's a Buckeye. Yeah, he's an Ohio State. Yeah, I can do that. You know, you guys should are basically the same people. That's right, Tubby. I know. I know people. I got connections. The guy at get-go where you got your coffee today doesn't count. Anyway, thanks, Gleason. We appreciate the time. And, uh, you know, maybe if this is a weekly spot, we'll talk to you next week, same time, same channel, sir. Sounds like a plan. There you go. That's Josh Gleason on the line talking major college football. We've had borough football, high school football, major college football. What else is left? 
the National Football League. They had a Thursday nighter last night, a full Sunday slate of games, including a 931 on the interwebs. We'll talk about that and more to wrap it up. Don't go anywhere. It's the morning after. WFSE is supported in part by the Edinburgh Hotel Bar, 100 Meanville Street in downtown Edinburgh, offering lunch and dinner selections every day. Information is at 814-734-5103 or online at edinburghhotelbar.com. Welcome back here in 88.9 Fighting Scots Radio. It's the morning after. Thank you all for tuning in. Tyler and Tubby wrapping things up in our final segment. Here on a Friday show, and you know what, Tubby? We finally get time to just talk to us. Right. We've been moving and grooving here on a Friday morning um, with, you know, just just jam-packed guests. Normally Fenner's in studio on a Friday, but the Thursday night game shakes that all up. And then um, we go right into, you know, Tom Risenweber, right into Josh Gleason. I mean, it's a, it's a heck of great content we have, but there's just not a lot of you and me time. Yeah. Which is probably for the better, to be honest. Well, I mean, it, it develops. Because we don't get the yell. Yeah, but I mean, it develops our relationship. It's it's part of that, uh, you know, relationship skills. You need to you need to always have that dialogue. Very true. So, last night's Thursday nighter, not as interesting as Edinburgh Mercyhurst. No. Seahawks win twenty to three. The Niners, sheesh. They're I mean, just a dumpster fire. They really are. I mean, they've now fallen to two and five overall, two and two in the. Uh, or at home, excuse me, at Levi Stadium, which have you seen that stadium? That turf is horrible. And that's hosting the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They, the NFL has to do something about that because that's some major issues right there. Something. Something needs to give. Um, Head coach job in trouble in San Fran? Time to make a change? If he's not on the hot seat, are you getting ready to light that fire? Well, what? They, they played seven games, so they haven't had their bye week yet. No. We're going to look up the Niners' schedule. When is their bye week? See how that find, or settles in here. They have Sunday, November 1st. They just played. Mm-hmm. Then they play on Sunday, November 1st. So they, yeah, okay, so they do play that weekend. And then they play the 8th, the 27th. So their, their bye is the 15th. So they go Sunday the 8th at a 4.05, then they go the 22nd against the Seahawks again. Ah. If they would get fired, it would be then, because if you think about it, they're 2-5 and five now, that gives him... Two more games, if they lose those games, and depending on how those, they lose their games, because they're going up against the Rams, which have been an up-and-down team. Think about it. They beat the Seahawks. They've beaten some good teams, but they've also been embarrassed at times. And then they're going up against the Falcons, who only have one loss, and that was a divisional loss against the Saints. So any, anything happens against the, the Saints in your division. Um, so, I mean, if you get embarrassed by both St. Louis and Atlanta, you fall to 2-7 and seven at the bye. I think Jim Tomsula is gone. I would, I would have to agree. But I think even if they lose, depending on the, how close those games are, could salvage his job. If so, if they're able to pull out some moral victories. Right. If they're able to keep it close, they could potentially stay there. But, I mean, this game was just, this game was just bad. I mean, just overall team stats. Um, I mean, San Francisco had no turnovers, but they, they couldn't really do anything. They only had eight first downs in this ball game. They ran 45 total plays, only had 142 yards of total offense, total yards in this ballgame. That's not good. No, that's a no bueno. You, you can't be doing that. No. So, uh, I mean, that's, you know, the Niners are looking pretty dumb getting rid of Harbaugh. You got to admit that. They got the egg on their face in that one. Right. But, I mean, still, I mean, you look at how much money Michigan offered Harbaugh to to come home. Right. But, I mean, it was – it's – I think, yeah, the money's a part of it, but I also think you got to look at it as far as, you know, you're not wanted where you're at. He was almost willing to go, I bet, anywhere. 
I don't think anywhere. I think. I, I think. I think if the. I think if Michigan was not interested, and the Niners were pushing him out the door, he would have gone to somewhere else in the NFL. Somewhere else in the NFL would have taken him. Think of all the new coaches this year. You, I mean. I'm, yeah, I mean, I could see him, but I don't think he would be in a head coach position. I think he would have been. He would have had to drop to an offensive. Oh, I certainly position. think he would have got a head coaching position. I really. I, th- I mean, you don't think Atlanta would have offered him their head coaching job? I don't think so. Because I think he's a good, solid college coach. I think he knows how to motivate young players. Right. And he knows how to recruit young players. No, I agree. College is the place he's at. Should be. Right. But I don't think – I think he loses his touch when he gets to – Professionals. Right. And yeah. I don't think they buy into his system. No, they don't want to listen to his nonsense because he's up in your grill all day like, let's go. And, you know, professionals are like, dude, relax. Right. I got this. I've been here before. I do this for a living. So I, I don't know. I don't think because I would think that the other teams offering positions would do their due diligence and contact San Francisco and be like, "Yo, <clears throat> what's the real deal on this guy? If I'm going to hire him, right?" So that's I mean that's really all that t- that game deserves. Russell Wilson, 18 for 24, 235 yards of passing, one touchdown. Marshawn Lynch, straight off of drag racing his uh, running back teammate outside the practice facility a few days before, 27 touches, 122 yards in the ground. One touchdown. He's been injured as of late, so good to see him get back into it. And the Seahawks sticking around three and four. But don't ever say never about the Niners. Two and five, you can still make the playoffs. You know who was the uh, last team to make the playoffs and start two and five? No idea. The Denver Broncos led by who? Tim Tebow. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Made that team come back and get to the playoffs. Don't talk about playoffs. After two and five. Are you kidding me? Playoffs? <laughs> now let's look ahead at Sunday's action. One thing I love, the 9:30 game. What in the heck is this all about? On Yahoo, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what I'm calling Tubby. That's what this game is on. Yahoo. So it's going to be live streamed on, on yahoo.com. Yahoo.com. Not on my TV. It will be on TV in the Jacksonville and Buffalo markets. I believe CBS will have that. So that's that's our market. Is that us? Yeah, because WSEE uh, out of out is of that Erie. the one? Is that the normal one I get though? See, I don't understand the call letters for these for these these stations around here. Yes, W S E E is the one that you normally get. What what week are we in? Week eight. There we go. So it's in. Yeah, I'm trying to look at my NFL maps here. But you're right. I I was thinking the same thing because I know it's available in. Because normally, if it's if it's a home game, it's week seven actually in the NFL. You're killing me. Oh, I'm sorry, but uh, yeah. So no, it's I, not. It's week eight. That's you're right. My bad. Okay, for once I was right. Right. Mark it on the calendar, ladies and gentlemen. Tubby was correct, but uh, because if it's if it's a home game, no. and uh, they uh, they don't sell out the stadium, then the game's blacked out in Erie. Like you can't pick up the game through the Erie Station. Right. Okay, so no, it is week seven in the National Football League. Oh, I was wrong. You were wrong. Darn um, it. So I'm trying to find a map that's telling me, but it's not going to tell me. But here's the note from 506sports.com. The Buffalo versus Jacksonville game from London at 9.30 a.m. will be streamed on Yahoo with Kevin Harlan and Rich Gannon having a call. So that's the CBS crew. It will be televised on the CBS affiliates in Buffalo and Jacksonville only. So I don't think we're getting it. I think we got to go Yahoo. It says in Buffalo and Jackson only. So the Buffalo CBS and the Jacksonville CBS, the only two I think. That's how I interpret okay. that so, are going to happen. So you and I know from experience because we're both fans of teams that are out of our market that we currently live in. Right. 
and we have streamed said games via the internet. Right. How much of a headache do you really think this is going to be with all the lag, the buffering issues? I don't think it will be that bad if you got good internet. I'm not going to watch in the dorms. That's for darn certain. You can't right. watch anything in the dorms. But still, I mean, you're still looking at one company pushing a signal, and when you got everybody and their cousin trying to connect in and get a little piece of that pie... Well, not the cousins in Buffalo and Jacksonville. But still, you're right. No, I got what you're saying. I don't know. We'll have to see it. I mean, my question is, will this be available on Sunday Direct Ticket? Because normally it's only the 1 o'clock and the 4 o'clock, so my guess is no. Yeah. I mean, if they got the exclusive deal to... To Yahoo and CBS, it's probably not going to happen, would be my guess. Yeah. I would would assume so. So, unfortunately, that's that one. But let's look at the the games ahead. Um, Buffalo, Jacksonville. I I think Buffalo has to win this one. They're four-point favorites on that neutral stadium in Wembley Stadium, that is. Uh, Give me a game. Give me a lock and give me an upset pick for this weekend, Tubby. Okay, I'm going to go for my lock is definitely uh, New England over New York Jets. Okay. That's easy peasy. New England over the New York Jets. I mean, I don't know. New England 5-0, and Jets 4-1. and I think this could be the closest Patriots-Jets game we could have. But the Patriots are 10-point favorites. I think mostly because it's Foxborough. Chance of rain, though, in this ballgame. Right. But, I mean, it's New England... Right, New England's five and zero. New England's a great team, but I'm just saying, of, of, of all those Jets Pats games, the Jets are probably gonna put up the best fight. I would assume on paper. Right, but we never but, uh, know. But Belichick usually has. So Patriots number. with the lock, you're upset. That's my luck. My upset has to be. Uh, I, I just had it too, and I totally whiffed it. Um, <laughs> Philly over Carolina in the Sunday <laughs> nighter. <laughs> That's my upset pick. <laughs> they Thank go, you, sir. They go down. That's I really think that the Philly defense is starting to to crank it up. I think they have a you know they're they're legit, legit. Right, right. All right. <clears throat> so here is going to be um, my lock. I'm going to go <clears throat> Atlanta over t- over Tennessee. Um, I, I mean it's not as I mean it's pretty simple to pick, but you picked the Pats Jets game. Um, yeah. Atlanta five and a half point favorites on the road really really a slap in the face to Tennessee on that one uh the Titans uh MRI you know on Marcus Mariota after the low hit a week ago not really sure what he's doing and then my upset's going to be much of the same Eagles over Panthers I was going to go with it before you picked it but I agree I like the Eagles and the Panthers are only a field goal favorites at home at home two and a half three points normally says toss-up so the betting line is not really liking the Panthers too much either. But that's all the time for us, Tubby. We're out of time here on a Friday edition. Thank you all for tuning in. Check our podcast out later on edinburgh.com. We will be back on Monday morning recapping it all right here on the morning after.